it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, we're Brian Kilmeade here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, we're back in action today. I'm sure you were watching football. That's okay. But I'm sure you also were upset as I was to see our, our guys were hit over in Jordan, right in the Jordan uh, right in the Jordan border, right next to uh, Syria. Uh, it was just a matter of time. I mean, 160 attacks. Uh, and they just said, well, minor injuries, and now all of a sudden a major hit. Uh, Senator Dan Sullivan's going to be on this hour. Jason Chavis is in studio. A lot's going on, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Did you see what he recently said about that he wants to see the economy crash this year? Donald Trump knows this economy is good and strong and getting stronger. He knows... Oh, well, it's good for America. It's bad for him politically. The economy's good with the big numbers, but not how people feel it. Three battles being waged right now by Donald Trump. One versus Nikki Haley. One for the nomination, of course. One with Joe Biden in the White House and nonstop fighting in the courts. If anyone can survive it, uh, or survive it all, it might just be the 45th president. We'll discuss it. Number two. A lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully they're blaming it on me. I said, that's okay. Please blame it on me. Because they were getting ready to pass a very bad bill. And I'll tell you what, a bad bill is, I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. But we don't really know what's in the bill. No one's read it. A border bill, not quite out, but both Republicans and Democrats digging in with their beliefs and responses. We'll tell you what's in it, as best as we know. And the Texas standoff with Joe Biden continues as truckers are streaming into the state to show support for Governor Abbott. Number one. I know what the Pentagon is doing is building options for the president that will include increasing the intelligence collection, using cyber to go after both the proxies, probably Iran, CIA stepping up its game inside Iran, and the military strike packages speak for themselves. I would feel so much better if Amos Javidis was in the uh, central command, but he's not. Inevitable. When you barely respond after 160 attacks in the region, you just knew one would hit and this one did, killing three Americans, injuring 34, probably more. Weakness brings in more attacks. When will Joe Biden realize that he's promised retaliation? I say it's time to hit Iran directly, and I understand the ramifications. Congressman uh, Jason Chaffetz, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. We have everything to talk about, but let's just talk about the international catastrophe that's, that's, that's emerging. Or should I say... How did we even get this far without um, some type of casualties by the way we've been not the way we have not reacted? Well, Joe Biden's uh, policy is an extension of Barack Obama's. I mean, Donald Trump was putting a kibosh to that. But then here comes Joe Biden. He helped enrich Iran, which gave him the money that they could do these terrorist type of activities and spread this money out. And there needs to be a disproportional response, not a proportional response, a disproportional response. It means it has to be overwhelming. Iran has to really feel the pain. I think you attack them uh, financially. Uh, you you you've got to make sure that you starve the regime, not the people, but starve the regime. 
you got to attack them on cyber, and then you've got to have some kinetic force that goes out there and takes out their capabilities to continue to attack uh, Americans. It's surprising we've only lost three given the 100-plus attacks that we've had. And God bless them. We've got to take proper time to mourn their loss and thank them for their service, as well as the two Navy SEALs who lost their lives recently. So, so listen to what Michael McCall says, Harley of Firebrand. He says, chairman of uh, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the Biden administration failed Middle East policy, has destroyed our deterrence against our adversaries in the Middle East. We need a major reset of our Middle East policy to protect our national security. Uh, Mike Johnson, speaker, we are saddened by the loss of three American heroes. Uh, Jordan, last night, we're praying for their families and 25 other members who have been injured. Uh, And then we have uh, other people like Lindsey Graham. Uh, Not surprising. The Biden administration can take out all the Iranian proxies they like, but it will not deter Iranian aggression. I am calling on the administration to strike targets of significance inside Iran, not only as reprisals for the killing of our forces, but as deterrence against others. Yeah, look, the scariest thing in the world is Iran with a nuclear weapon. And by all accounts, they're on the verge of that, if not having already achieved that. So you need to you need to take out some capabilities here. And uh, but President Biden, I mean, nobody's worried that he's going to have this overwhelming force. It's certainly not affecting Iran. And and look at how aggressive they continue to be. Here is uh, here's what Admiral Stavridis said. He was former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO Cut 8. I think we are at the point where what is necessary is a hammer blow against the proxies. If that doesn't have the intended effect, then yes, it's time to go after Iran. So I think what the Pentagon is doing, I don't think, I know what the Pentagon is doing, is building options for the president that will include increasing the intelligence collection, using cyber to go after both the proxies, probably Iran, CIA stepping up its game inside Iran. Iran's using their proxies. Maybe we could use a few proxies operating against the mullahs, against the Revolutionary Guard. And the military strike packages speak for themselves. I think you'll see the president order another aircraft carrier, 80 combat aircraft, back to the region to prepare in case we have to go after Iran directly. I mean, that just drives me nuts, right? We had a carrier group in the region, the Ford, then it came back to port. So we don't have as much capability. I mean, the the, the Eisenhower and it, that carrier group is unbelievable in its ability. I've, I've actually been on that carrier, spent the night on that carrier. It is amazing what they can do. But there's is a wide array of targets that you're going to have to take out. We can take out the, the Navy, the entire Navy of Iran in just a, a fairly short amount of time if we had the political will to do it. But I think the world knows and I think the Iranians know that Joe Biden is very soft on this. I mean, the word was that he gave a uh, heads up to Iran that we were going to do a previous Not attack. Not denied. Not denied that, hey, look out. Here we come. Everybody go hide. Go home. And that's not going to take care. And I think the president also needs to explain to the American people, why do we have American and women service people in harm's way that can't protect themselves? And are told not to hit back. That's right. You can only knock down the rocket or the drone. You can't not take out the shooter. Yeah, and that's a matter of seconds. Imagine how fast those missiles are flying at you or coming at you from a drone, and you got seconds to deal with it. Obviously, we can't. So 
explain to the American people why you put these men and women in harm's mm-hmm. way without their ability to defend themselves. So also in the Middle East, same time, Biden officials are considering slow rolling shipments of weapons to Israel to pressure Netanyahu into finally listening to U.S. calls to pull back in Gaza. Well, look, supposedly this is why the Americans were in the place that they were at. Um, but you, you've got to be able to take this. Look, and to suggest that the CIA and the others need to step up their game, why haven't they been peddled to the metal already? Like, I don't understand that and that analysis. All right. Uh, what a mess. Also, there's a report today that uh, Israel is closer to war with Hezbollah uh, and a possible regional war than ever. That according to a senior Israeli official. Uh, Hezbollah located in Iran. I mean, look, they're me, they're probably on. the most potent of the Iranian-backed groups. The number of weapons that they have, the capabilities that they have there in Lebanon, stunning. By the hundreds of thousands, these people have rockets and missiles. And and Israel, I mean, when you go there on the border, as I have, and you can look over the border and actually see what is uh, targeted towards Israel, it, it, it's pretty stunning. And I, they, will they go after it? Maybe. I mean, they've been firing back and forth at each other for a long time. So what about this UNRWA group? What could you tell me about this? This an acronym, U-N-R-A-W. Uh, these guys, it looks like at least 12, have participated in the October 7th attacks. A U.N. organization is, who's been told to distribute aid evidently directly took part in the attacks in Israel one accused of kidnapping, one handed out the ammo, one took direct uh, part in the massive hit on one kibbutz in particular. Uh, overall, uh, three have been killed, thankfully. So now we have eight nations pulling back uh, aid to them. They were distributing the aid. For the, uh, Donald Trump denied them aid the last two years he was in office. He knew about how corrupt this organization is. Jason Chaffetz, what do you know about them? Well, for a long mm-hmm. time, we have had intelligence that showed that this is a nefarious organization, that not everybody had the purest intentions. They're wearing the U.N. helmets, and so they get to go back and forth. Uh, Donald Trump acted on that, and he, he started to defund them. And again, you've got to get rid of their capability to be, even be in a position to do these things. And, and not just these individuals, but the higher-ups within the organizations have got to be displaced, and we have got to, to make it hurt for them financially that they are participants in this. It's absolutely it's so fundamentally wrong. Yeah, so uh, no one's denying it, by the way. Japan, France, Switzerland, Netherlands, Canada, Australia, Finland, Italy, Germany – and the U.K. have joined us. But, but we're by far. You could take all those, add them up together. I would still think the United States funds more than all of those combined. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the election. When we come back, Jason Chavis in studio. How much do I have to pay you for both uh, both of these I, I'm on a uh, contract. Yeah, my union. Per, little... per block. <laughs> yeah. I have to pay you per block? It's I'm totally worth it. It's right. a bargain. That's according to reports. Yes. And you're totally worth it. <laughs> uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Dan Sullivan at the bottom of the hour. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Well, we've got 17 delegates. He's got 32. I'd say that's pretty good to start. What I do think I need to do is I need to show that I'm building momentum. I need to show that I'm stronger in South Carolina than New Hampshire. Does that have to be a win? I don't think that necessarily has to be a win, but it certainly has to be better than what I did in New Hampshire, and it certainly has to be close. And so that's what we're focusing on. If we win, great. If not, we've got to show that we're continuing to narrow that margin along the way. So I hear to give you. people in Super Tuesday states a reason to know that they can continue to see and, and have us fight on. So Nikki Haley talking on Meet the Press yesterday for 30 minutes. So it was a good spot for her. Jason Chief is with us now. Do you believe she's doing the right thing staying in? No. If you're the former governor of South Carolina and you can't win South Carolina, where do you think you're going to actually win? Uh, I think it's just prolonging the inevitable. I think when Donald she's Trump got, got four weeks to close the gap. Well, OK, but she's also trying to lower expectations that she doesn't need to win. I, I think she has to win definitively in South Carolina to justify staying in this race. Usually you lose money. And what happens is you run out of money. and you, I, I got to leave. I wish, you know, I thought that might be a bad. But now she has no problem raising money. She's got a ton of money. Uh, oh, Democrats love to tie up Donald Trump. No doubt about it. I, I mean, I'm not saying everybody who's donating to her is a Democrat. I'm just saying there are a lot of anti-Trump people out there, both sides of the aisle. But uh, to what end? Uh, Donald Trump, he dominated in the first two races. And, I, I, you know, when you win 98 out of 99 counties in Iowa, not exactly Donald Trump's backyard, then, yeah, I think it's pretty much over. Um. So listen to the Suffolk poll. They did a USH Suffolk poll, uh, found Trump leading Biden among voters under 35, 37, 33. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Reuters has Trump beating Biden 40, 34 with RFK 36, 30. In terms of this matchup, because I talked about all three he's got to deal with, meaning the courts, Nikki Haley, as well as the general. He leads Haley 62, 29, according to the last 538 poll in South Carolina. That's a substantial win. So uh, that substantial lead. I think that Trump, in a way, I love this point was made of the Ruthless podcast on One Nation over the weekend on Saturday. He said, you know what? This is a good story for Trump. Every, every, uh, every network, every outlet had to cover Trump winning for the first time in four years. Right. They just said, well, he won here. He won this. He won okay. that. He won Republican votes. Then he goes in again. He goes, sets a record with turnout. First year, well, it was a bad turnout in Iowa. Minus 37 degrees had nothing to do with it, right? <laughs> right, right. Okay. But he won by the bigger market. Okay, that's fine. But in New Hampshire, it'll be different. He wins again by double digits. Okay. Uh, now that was the first time any non-sitting president has ever won those two states back to back. Okay. They have to say this. This is automatic. And then you could come on and you could say your negative things. The minute Haley goes away, they focus on his court cases and Biden. Yeah. Nine months. Don't necessarily wish for this to go away. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good theory, actually. Um, I I I I kind of buy that. You know, he'd much rather have this type of discussion. Will He's you make going, it on another show and look, claim it as your own? But who does it? <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes, okay, of course. Fine. How do you think I got here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Listen. Um, at this point, I think most people have probably made up their mind about Donald Trump and about Joe Biden. That middle 5% that makes these decisions about eh, go this way, I'll go that way, they're not going to they're not going to firm up those votes until September or so. So I think it's some static off to the side. It's nothing earth shattering. It's not going to move people one direction or another. But where Donald Trump is making inroads, as you pointed out, the youth vote, 
the uh, Hispanic vote, some of the other minority groups, he's doing much better because even though Joe Biden keeps saying the economy is better and all that, those people are not feeling it. Snoop Dogg will support Donald Trump. Yeah, that he's come a long way. He's turned the corner. Charlemagne the God is taking on Joe Biden and, and you know, and saying, hey, I'm not doing that again. Right. And where's Kamala Harris? She is nowhere to be found. Well, she's speaking in college campuses just about uh, female reproductive rights. Well, that's how she phrases it. Yeah. That, OK, keep doing that. You know, the president, President Biden goes to South Carolina. Where's Kamala Harris? She was in Manhattan Beach, California, doing a fundraiser. Well, keep keeping her as far away. You normally when you have a strong vice president, you want them with the president in a pivotal state like South Carolina. Look, Joe Biden's going to win South Carolina. Thanks to James Clyburn. He won it last time. So. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, that book came out that says they really hate each other. I, I agree with that. Oh, I they're mean, as far away from each other as possible. So uh, what's in this shot? What's in the border bill? What do we know? Uh, they shut down the border if it hits 5000 because, you know, it's got over 10 uh, way too much, way too often. Raise asylum standards. It's almost impossible to get in unless you have hardcore proof that you're being threatened in your country. Go to a different part of your country. Speed up review six months to six months instead of 10 years. Expand expedited deportation, so a rapid return. Uh, restrict parole. I'm not sure what that means. 50,000 immigrant visas status for H-1B visas holders and green cards for Afghan refugees in the U.S. I assume we're going to screen them. $14 billion for overtime for more personnel. Right now, I did not know this. Border Patrol doesn't get overtime. No. So now they'll get it. And more guys. So just some of those. Some I of hate things. this bill. I absolutely what? hate, hate it. it. Well, well, first of all, we haven't read it. If, and if it's From so, what I told you. Yeah, but yeah, based on the outline, I hate it when lawmakers do this. They throw out an outline and then they go out and try to defend it. Joe Biden says, hey, we got to do this. And you're like, wait a sec. If this is so good, then let's why don't you give it the airing that it deserves? I don't need 72 hours. We need like a couple of weeks like Senator Mike Lee has talked about in order to go out there and, and vet this. You can you can secure the border right now today by just enforcing the current law. That's what we should be doing. We had comprehensive immigration reform. It already passed years and years ago. Enforce the current law. And so far, the president has not done that at all. Uh, no. And he has not shown any proclivity to want to do it. He said this yesterday, cut, cut 11. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. A bipartisan bill would be good for America and help fix our broken immigration system and allow speedy access for those who deserve to be here. And Congress needs to get it done. You want to look, want to read between the lines? Look, it, that, is, that is such deflection. That is such, that is such a misdirection on the part of the president. The current laws on the books say if you come to this country in between the ports of entry, you, are to be, you shall be detained and deported. But that's not what the president's doing. He doesn't need another bill. He doesn't need more money. He needs to talk to the Border Patrol. They won't talk to the Border Patrol. Ask Brandon Judd and those people. They will not do what the Border Patrol wants to have. Oh, what are you doing the rest of the day? Yelling about this. Uh, on television? Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's so. America Reports. Okay, that's, okay, I'm just trying to give you a plug. That's all. Kind of Jason Cavins. <laughs> You're so distrusting. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to let a bunch of people in. It's focused on actually turning people around on it. It is interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding 
for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. We all have an oath to the Constitution, and we have a commitment to say we're going to do whatever we can to be able to secure the border. So I did this novel thing of trying to pull as much sound, well, Eric and uh, Allison and Pete did, but uh, at least I tried to bracket off as much as I can from the people that put this program together, this uh, border uh, border reform together. Before we even judge it, we just sort of find out what it is, you know, how it reads, and what it's meant to do before we just blow it off. Because I believe that they have maximum leverage over the Democrats right now. Why? Because they want aid for Israel. They want aid for Ukraine. They want aid for Taiwan. Taiwan's already paid for their stuff. And to do that, they know the border's falling apart, stressing their cities, New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, uh, beyond, and, and, and Boston, by the way, Logan Airport, we just threw there. It's an absolute mess. And they think they have a shot. So they put something together. You might not like it, but can we at least read it? Senator Sullivan knows all about it. Uh, Dan Sullivan in studio from Alaska. He's on the Armed Services Committee, Marine Corps Reserve Colonel, and served in the Middle East. Uh, Senator, one of the things I like to tap, great to see you. One you of the things too, I wanted Brian. to tap great into. To the, great to be on the show. Thanks. Uh, Senator Langford, he's not known as a liberal guy or even a moderate guy. He's Oklahoma conservative. So are you, do you like anything that you know of in this bill, or what do you know of the border bill? Well, look, uh, the be- two points, and, and you've uh, already focused on them, but the border has been a disaster because of Biden. Let's let's fully acknowledge that. Ten million people probably by the end of the Biden administration illegally coming into our country. This is a giant national security threat. I've been down there. It's a fully open border. Um, 300,000, over 300,000 in December. And uh, last year, 170 who were caught on the terrorist watch list. So disaster. By the way, Alaska, we have the highest fentanyl overdoses uh, per capita in the country. And it's just going through the roof. That's because of the open border, right? People in my state, 4,000 miles away, uh, care about what's going on on the border because it's literally killing Alaskans. To your second point, Senator James Langford is a great guy, right? He's conservative. He's well-trusted by people. So, Brian, I think you're making a really important point, which is let's see what's in the bill. Let's see what's in the text. I haven't seen the text yet before we either endorse it or dismiss it. I think um, James Langford's raised the issue of, hey, somehow that he would put in there, hey, 5,000 a day is fine. He says that's, that's what an, he said, though. What he, that's not what he said. He no, said he that, didn't say that yeah. at all. Right. He said that's an Internet rumor. That's not the case at all. So, you know, he's um, he's he he what, what he's been briefing us on. He says it ends ends catch and release. Um, it changes the asylum process, which the Democrats have been abusing like crazy. Um so let's just see what's in it. Look, would I love to see us building the wall? Hell yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm not allowed to say, Can I say hell yeah? On yes, the show? you can. Um, uh, so, but uh, let's see it first. And um, here's a little more what Langford Then have a debate on it. Right. Here's more from what Langford says in the bill. Cut 16. Yeah, this is similar to what we had under Title 42 uh, during the pandemic time period, where we reach a, a crisis point to say we can't actually operate. 
Uh, so we, we don't have that authority right now as the United States. We've reached crisis points. For instance, when we've got four or 5,000 people crossing the border, we can no longer process those individuals. So right now the Biden administration is just releasing them into the country. That's what's driving the mayors in Denver and Chicago and New York City and other places around the country crazy to say when the border gets crowded, you just release them to our cities and it causes all the chaos in these cities. This is a new authority to say when we can no longer detain and deport, when we can't process the people and actually make a decision right there at the border, then we'll actually turn those folks back around to Mexico and say we can no longer do this. So that's what he was trying to say with the with the threshold. It reminded and, me of the stock market. Remember when people start selling off, they'll just shut it down after right. 2008. They say, let's just shut it down, reconvene tomorrow. Yeah. And there are two things that I think are going on in this debate. One is with good reason. Uh, my view is people shouldn't in our party, people shouldn't be skeptical of James Langford. He's a great guy. Great senator. They should be skeptical of Biden, right? I mean, we can give him power. He might not use it. But if this can stop the flow very significantly and give the president power, including the incoming president, which, you know, I'm hopeful is Senator or is uh, President Trump to use more power, uh, then it's certainly worth looking at. He's, uh, Trump's dead set against it. Obviously, he hasn't read it. He probably has high-level briefing, though, I imagine, because it matters so much. But here's what President Trump said. Cut 12. A lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully they're blaming it on me. I said, that's okay. Please blame it on me. Please. Because they were getting ready to pass a very bad bill. And I'll tell you what, a bad bill is I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. So the president made it clear, you know, it also, let's be honest, we watched him break the border for three years. We watched 8 million get in here. We watched these flights going on in the middle of the night. We've seen the bus rides to other cities. We've seen the results in the cities we just mentioned. And we don't believe he sincerely will do anything, but he wants it to throttle the next president when he tries to uh, get back into the White House and say, I fixed immigration in a bipartisan way. And he thinks that will be an applause line now. Yeah, look, I mean, nobody's going to believe that. And and um, I'm certainly not blaming it on President Trump. It's bl- blaming it on President Biden, right? That's where all the blame uh, resides. At the end of the Trump administration, you had uh, historic low records because he was using the authority um, and he was leveraging relationships like with the Mexicans and the Remain in Mexico policy But again, Brian, I think it's important from my perspective and a lot of senators' perspective. Let's see it. Let's read it. Uh, Let's see what's in the text. Get the detailed brief. And if it can stop uh, Mm -hmm. the flow of people and fentanyl killing my constituents in Alaska, which is happening right now, uh, I'll take a hard look at it. Here's the other thing. This is what one lawmaker told me yesterday. Show me something. You show me for the next two months that you're going to start turning people around. You put the Remain of Mexico in place. You start putting up that wall. You say, listen, i got to change policies because it's a disaster. You stop suing Texas because they're trying to secure their own border. You immediately stop all those things. And then if I know you got this bill, then I'll sense you there's a semblance of an opportunity that you might actually enforce the, the, what we gave you. That's 100 right, If you don't use it, you show it to me first. And that, that I think is important. And then also looking for the provisions, again, once we see the text, that have automatic shutdowns, right? One of the things that I like, particularly when you're dealing with this president, is taking away his discretion. And that's a huge issue. How much of the language says shall – Right. Has to happen versus may. 
because we know with Biden, May has been essentially equated with open borders. All right, so uh, we got the horrific news over the weekend, but sadly not unexpected, that we lost three guys and over 34 wounded in a base over in Jordan on the Syrian border. It was unbelievable that they were in Tower 22 and they get rocketed while they were sleeping, that a drone was able to do this. And uh, as a Marine veteran, as you were, I am surprised that we would leave our guys so vulnerable. I haven't heard anything about missile defense. Yeah. I haven't heard that it was an aberration. Uh, all we hear about is the death and destruction and that there's going to be some retaliation. Senator Sullivan, what should that retaliation be? Well, you're right that it's a really somber morning right now, right? Three of our nation's best, and trust me, I, I think they're all our best and brightest. Those men and women who are serving are dead in service to their country. We lost two Navy SEALs two weeks ago. So, of course, I know your listeners, like millions of Americans, are praying for these families and and those who were who were um, injured. And uh, second, we need a deep dive exactly to your point tactically on what happened, right? Most of these, all of these bases have missile defenses uh, surrounding them, right? And they're, they're, I thought they're, so. They're very good at Shooting down these kind of attacks, we are always looking to harden targets that we know are targets. So that needs to happen immediately, right? Is there Will some you get kind briefed of briefed on this, Senator? Yes, Sullivan? absolutely. When are you going to get briefed? On uh, I don't know, Brian, but it'll be soon, right? And we're all already calling it's for already it. Forty-eight hours. I'm meeting with the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs Wednesday morning, so uh, I'm going to be asking him on this tactical issue, right? Which is a really important one because if it happened here. It could happen anywhere in the Middle East. And by the way, we also got to make sure that um, our defenses are working with regard to our Navy shipping, right? The Houthis are lobbing missiles at our destroyers in the Red Sea and the Middle East uh, very regularly. They're shooting them almost all down. We got to make sure that stays. But, but you also talk about how, uh, how expensive our missiles are compared to these cheap drones. And we're really paying a, a big financial price Okay, we're knocking these drones out of the sky, but we, are we we really need multi-million dollar missiles to do it well, for a thousand dollar Radio Shack, uh, a but dangerous drone? Well, well, look, I mean, to me, that goes to a much broader issue, which is our own industrial base to be able to produce weapons, which has been lacking, and we got to rebuild that up. But to your earlier question, strategically, we have to reestablish deterrence in the region, particularly as it relates to Iran. And as you and I talked about earlier this morning, you know, during the Trump administration, they did something that's really hard to do from a national security and military perspective, which is reestablished deterrence. When the Trump administration came in, ISIS was on the march. Um, the Quds Force, led by Soleimani, had been killing American service members through proxies in Iraq uh, with impunity, right? 2,000 wounded, 600 killed by these guys. I mean, it's unbelievable. We completely lost deterrence. Trump administration comes in, uh, massive sanctions against the Iranian oil and gas sector, kills Soleimani, uh, launches a peace initiative. Much better situation than we had the And then Biden, um, you know, reverses all that. The appeasement strategy is not working. So the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is C.Q. Brown. Uh, so the general for, from the Air Force sat down with Martha Raddatz. Now, this was before the attacks. This mm-hmm. was probably taped on Friday. Okay. But I don't love this mindset. Cut one. When you 
walk this fine line of not wanting it to escalate. What would you say to those people who are critics who would say, look, they're not being tough enough on these militants. They're not being tough enough on Iran. I would also ask, do they want a broader conflict? Do you want us in a full-scale war? Um, And that's the goal is to uh, to deter them. And we don't want to go down a path of greater escalation that uh, drives to a much broader conflict um, within the region. Your answer. I mean, you're going to meet with him in a couple of days. Yeah, look, uh, I think he's got it backwards, right? And why do I – what what do I mean by that? Iran is already escalating. I mean, look what they did. There's no invasion of Israel – uh, without Iran. The the Hamas is controlled by Iran. The Houthis are controlled by Iran. Hezbollah is co- controlled by Iran. The guys, the terrorists who killed our troops uh, yesterday are controlled by Iran. So Iran is already escalating. And if they sense weakness, which this administration has shown, they're going to keep doing it. The way you actually prevent a broader war, in my view, is show the Iranians that we are ready to go directly at them as you and I talked about this morning, we should choose our own targets, Quds Force leadership, uh, maybe Navy, uh, Iranian Navy spy ships. Don't hit civilians, right? The civilians in Iran, ironically, are on our side. They hate the regime as much as we do. So General Brown, who I respect, uh, he's got it backwards, right? We look like we're um, too worried about escalation. It's like the same way Biden's been talking about Ukraine and Putin. They're always worried about uh, doing something that'll make Putin escalate. Putin invaded a country, for God's sakes. They're all escalating. We're the ones who are sitting on our, uh, you know, showing that we're afraid of them. Senator, you believe Ukraine should be funded with accountability? I do. I do. I do, too. Uh, I mean, and look, there's a really good debate in our conference. I think it should be focused on lethal military aid. Not lo- pensions. No, exactly. Not what they call direct budget support. Let the EU do direct budget support. Let Canada. Heck, they don't do anything in NATO. Um, our focus should be on lethal military aid where we have the advantage. And then, Brian, here's something that's really important. Even in the bill that's being drafted up, about $50 billion of that – in the Ukraine package for weapons, goes to enhancing our industrial capacity to produce weapons. That's jobs, but it's what we need. It's more ability to produce. But this administration doesn't say what you just said. They don't. Because we're buying into, even our taxpayer dollars are buying our weapons. We make it, those people make it. We're going to expand it. We're going to expand it. Then you modernize it afterwards. And then we get these things called customers. Taiwan actually has money. Correct. Lithuania has money. Correct. Uh, Norway has money. Finland has money. Sweden has money. They also want to get away from the whole Russian, all the Russian weapons because they, they got to go back to Russia to get none, you know, updated and refurbished and, and rearmed. About, so, about 50 billion. But, but why the, can't someone say this? I try to say it. I mean, about 50 billion at least. It actually, I asked this in a, in a to, uh, briefing classified. It shouldn't have been classified. Just last week on the Armed Services Committee. How much of this is dedicated to expanding our industrial base to produce more weapons, which you and I already just talked about today, is really weakening our ability to produce ships, our ability to produce stingers, harpoons, all these things that we need and our allies need. About at least 50 billion is probably closer to 60 is focused on expanding the U.S. industrial base and jobs 
To me, that's a smart investment, whether it's Ukraine, Taiwan, or defending our own country. Alaska Senator uh, Dan Sullivan, thanks so much, Dan, and congratulations. Your Marines are the only one hitting their recruiting targets. Oh, well, uh, the other branches have really got me worried. There's a whole reason for that. Yeah. Maybe next time I'm on the show we can talk about it. Absolutely. You listen to Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Senator, thanks so much. Brian, great to be on the show. Thank you. Y- your call's next. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Trump did have a slight stumble this week while talking about banks, and he introduced an interesting new term called D-Bank. I don't know what the hell D-Bank means, but he might have to take D-Ambulance to see the doctor. The only problem with that, do you have any idea what the problem with that was, Allison? With that line? The problem is, is that it's an actual word. And debanking. And that's why Colin Jost looks like an absolute uh, ass again. And it's just amazing to me. You have, you know, we'll play it. Do we still have the montage, Eric, of of the missteps last week for George, for Joe Biden? Do you remember that the montage? So Joe Biden had two speeches in two days. He had indiscernible sentences uh, twice that you just ate like nine words in a row. Not a word about that. And yet there's no, you know, it's one thing about not reporting it, but since when does comedy become partisan on a show that's been around for 50 years? If you look back, they were insulting Democrats and Republicans. It's just incredible. And then they go, okay, let's focus on one word in a sentence from a speech that the president gave and the former president gave, and it turns out it was an actual word. It's not funny if it's an actual word, right? Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's a big Monday. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan. We're heard around the country, around the world. Emily Schrader will be with us a little bit later from Israel. She's an Israeli journalist, human rights activist, and, man, that is the hot spot in the world once again. Uh, the whole uh, Middle East peace thoroughly centers on what they're able to agree on. There is talk of a pause, a two-month pause at the war, at which time they get about 100 hostages out in exchange for some prisoners from Hamas, and the theory is if you stop the bombing, it's going to be hard to start, get started after two months. I don't know about that. I just want to get it to the point where Hamas is destroyed because we'll be right back here a year from now. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Did you see what he recently said about the West? The, the, he wants to see the economy crash this year. Donald Trump knows this economy is good and strong and getting stronger. He knows that while it's good for America, it's bad for him politically. Yeah, it's good for America to to judge both economies, the Trump economy and the Biden economy. Mr. President, do you know you lose in that all the time? Trump's got three battles. He's got Nikki Haley still in there. He's got Joe Biden waiting for him, and he's got... Legal battles. If anyone can survive it, it will be the 45th president. Number two. A lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully they're blaming it on me. I said, that's okay. Please blame it on me. 
because they were getting ready to pass a very bad bill. And I'll tell you what, a bad bill is I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. Right. But we don't know what's in the bill, Mr. President. That would certainly help. Border bill, not quite out, and both Republicans and Democrats digging in with their beliefs and their responses. We'll tell you what we know, as well as the Texas standoff with the Biden administration. Number one. I know what the Pentagon is doing is building options for the president that will include increasing the intelligence collection, using cyber to go after both the proxies, probably Iran, CIA stepping up its game inside Iran, and the military strike packages speak for themselves. That's my hope. Uh, That's what I hope. And Admiral Stravitas, if you were there, I'm sure they'd be doing it. It was inevitable. When you barely respond after 160 attacks on your troops in the region of the Middle East, you know one would get through and it happened. While they slept, three Americans were killed. Dozens wounded, eight out of the emergency medevac to Germany. Weakness brings more attacks. When will Joe Biden realize that? I am not sure. But that's exactly what happened. I'll give you some more details on it. The Islamic resistance in Iraq have claimed responsibility. They are the militias backed by Iran. They claim credit for the attack. The group called its revenge for America's military presence in the region and the Palestinian death toll in Gaza. More than 25,000 people they say have been killed in Gaza. I highly doubt it, although there is a lot of death and destruction there. Keep in mind, it's all predicated on what happened October 7th, where innocent people were absolutely massacred. The, the, the call to act strongly is everywhere. Tom Cotton. Put this on Twitter. Joe Biden emboldened Iran for years by tolerating attacks on our troops, bribing the Ayatollahs with billions and appeasing them to no end. He left our troops as sitting ducks and now three are dead and does his wounded. Sadly, as I predicted, would happen for months. Lindsey Graham, the Biden administration can take out all the Iranian proxies all they like, but will not deter Iranians aggression. I am calling the Biden administration to strike targets of significance inside Iran. I hear you. There's a lot of people on the right and left and said, wait a second, let's not do that. Just so you know, by walking away, we're not the bigger man. We're the naive man. Here's Lieutenant Colonel Keith Kellogg, cut seven. And if it is not a strong response, we're just opening up ourselves to further aggression by the Iranians or anybody else in the region. So this is a chance for the United States of America, for President Biden to make a strong statement. They're watching. Allies are watching. Adversaries are watching. Yes, they're watching in Afghanistan. They're watching us late to the party in Ukraine. They're watching us wallow and and ponder, giving them more weapons to defeat the Russians. They've already killed 300,000, but I guess they're still not clear on how they'll be successful. Uh, By the way, if anyone who doubts that uh, Ukraine can beat the Russians, just say Mujahideen puts the Russians right out of their country. Ukraine can fight uh, with much more skill. Uh, with much more effort, with much more, uh, with better equipment, and they'll have much more success than Mujahideen, who consider that a big victory. So what is wrong with this administration? Maybe the people they hire, like the new Joint Chiefs of Staff chairperson, General C.Q. Brown. He was asked on ABC about the attacks prior to the one that actually killed the Americans. And here's what he said, cut one. When you walk this fine line of not wanting it, to escalate, what would you say to those people who are your critics who would say, look, they're not being tough enough on these militants. They're not being tough enough on Iran. I would also ask, do they want a broader conflict? Do you want us in a full-scale war? Um, And that's the goal is to uh, to deter them. And we don't want to go down a path of greater escalation that uh, drives to a much broader conflict um, within the region. 
Of course we know that. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, let's have a broader war. Unless you're North Korea, Russia, Iran, and China. Although China's both had military, but they aren't in a lot of conflicts. Isn't it amazing the Russians never get hit, the Chinese never get hit? Think about that for a second. Why is that? Now we've got the Houthi attack shelling us and basically shutting down the Red Sea, blew up a British tanker over the weekend. We're using multi-million dollar missiles to shoot down $1,000 rock, uh, $1,000 drones. Here's Amos Hoekstein. He's the presidential coordinator on energy security on where we're going right now, because right now the Red Sea shut down. So we've got to go around the Horn of Africa. Cut two. We're in a remarkable situation where we have two global uh, conflicts, one the ongoing war uh, of Russia's war against Ukraine and what's happening in the Middle East and the Houthis attacking the ships. So the first thing to remember, we are responding to the uh, Houthi attacks, and this is not an attack on the United States or related to Gaza. This is an attack on the global commercial system, on global shipping lanes. This is not about just the United States, and that's why the reaction has not just been the U.S., it's U.S.-led, but this is a coalition, and a coalition that's growing, both the diplomatic coalition as well as the military coalition. So he was also told, it was in the Washington Post, this hoaxing guy said, whatever you do, don't shut down natural gas. He shut down six permits for natural gas. Why is that? Because the Russians were providing natural gas to all of Europe, cheap. If we could provide the same natural gas to all of Europe and they don't feel the suffering from staying, keeping with that boycott since they invaded uh, Ukraine... That'll give them more steel in their spine to stand up stronger and longer. But we shut down six anyway. When asked about it, did you recommend they do that as any security uh, coordinator? And he said, no, no, I never recommended that. That's a lie. So what are the options? You got Iran behind the Houthis, Iran behind uh, the, the militias in Iraq, Iran behind the militias in Syria, Iran behind Hamas and Hezbollah. Here's Admiral Stavridis. More on this. Cut 10. Their logic is threefold. One is to uh, demonstrate globally, demonstrate to their partners. They're very close with the Iranians. They want to impress the Chinese. They want to show that they can uh, maneuver through this vast land battle space of the Middle East, the old Persian Empire. Number two, they want to take advantage of the fact that Israel is completely occupied with what's happening in Gaza. Normally, Israel can be part of these kind of responses. They are very tied down. That looks to Iran like an opportunity. And number three, all politics are local. The Iranians are trying to distract their internal population mm. from growing resistance within the country of Iran, much of it led, by the way, by women and girls. This becomes something going outside to slay monsters like the United States that the mullahs feel can distract that internal population. Unless they, uh, but bottom line, no, they don't want an all-out fight with the United States. I don't think it'll end up there. Next step, we're going to have to have a campaign of days, if not weeks, to really denude these proxies. We need in our back pocket the strike plan for Iran. Let's see it. And you don't want to give them somebody to unify around. That's the whole theory with uh, China. They're having trouble militarily, so let's make America the bad guys. So we suck it up. Don't worry about our lives. We rally because we have a common enemy. It's, uh, it's basically autocracy 101. So where do they stand with this? The President of the United States uh, knows exactly what he's doing with Iran. They know if he's elected that their, their life's going to be a lot worse. Now they know that these acts are helping George, Joe Biden get unelected. And serve for and out? Do they know that? I think the Chinese know that. That's why they're trying to ease up and make the president look competent, which we know he is not. 
So we'll talk a little bit about 2024 before we go and take a break and then take some of your calls. I'm shocked that Joe Biden's coming out, going after the intellect and ability and cognitive uh, training of President Trump, being that we've watched this president for four years not be able to get on or leave a stage, give a speech, make every uh, make it intelligible and then know how to exit the stage. Literally, he'll walk around in a circle, leave early, embarrass everybody. And yet he's bringing up Donald Trump for doing a clear mistake. Donald Trump got Nikki Haley confused with Nancy Pelosi. Big move. But you know what's like an hour and 15 minutes into his speech, most of which he had lived? Do you think Joe Biden could even stand for an hour and 15 minutes, let alone talk to? I think the answer is no. It's, he can't. Absolutely not he can't. So for Joe, for Joe Biden to go bring up intellectual ability and astuteness and co- a coherentness is crazy. Who advised, who advised him for saying that? Listen to him on, Listen to him on Sunday give this speech. Listen to the word sitting president, cut 27. Did you see what he recently said about that he wants to see the economy crash this year? A sitting president. As they say in my face, bless me, Father, for, I mean, come on, man. But number one, what does that mean, bless me, Father, come on, man? Number two, for a sitting president. Okay? You just called out Trump for misspeaking. Can we just pick up that you just misspoke? Cut 28. 1,600 asylum officers and over 100 cutting-edge inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming on our southwest border. That went well, didn't it? And you remember what he said last week when he was trying to make two speeches back-to-back days? At certain moments, he was saying things. I didn't understand one word of it. We listened to it back hundreds of times. Eric, do we have that from last week? Oh, we're still looking for it? Okay. So he goes and speaks. So I'm watching all the Sunday shows. Now, at one point, everybody was asking Nancy Pelosi, do you think Donald Trump is slipping? To, to Nancy Pelosi saying this, she said I didn't notice any deterioration. She just changed the subject back to his original point that she, uh, they said Nikki Haley forgot to send, refused to send 10,000 troops the day on January 6th. Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, said, you know, this is not going to help me. I'm not going to. He blew that off and just said, well, let's go to the original statement. I did not, uh, I did not refuse to send 10,000 troops there on January 6th. Most people get it. Now, to Donald Trump's credit, he went up to Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity said this publicly, so I wouldn't have brought it up, and said, what did, you, what did I tell you when, you when I was telling you to, talk, to stop talking about Joe Biden's age? He said, well, I was just saying that some people get insulted that, you know, you're mocking people that happen to be 80, and it's not. I mean, here's an example. Nobody thinks Bernie Sanders is really acting his age. No one thinks John Kerry is acting his age. Don't like their beliefs. Don't like their policies. Hope they never. I wish they never were in elected office. But I don't think at 80 years old, they're both 80, 78, 80 years old, there's any problem with them leading a country or a company. They wouldn't go well. I don't believe that they understand business. But there's no problem. But when you, when you look at Joe Biden, you got a huge problem. So when we come back, I'm going to take some calls on that one 408 They're going to run on abortion. They're going to run on that Donald Trump's going to get rid of democracy. I don't think that uh, I don't think the democracy thing flies. They're going to make him seem he's going to overthrow the government. What Trump's got to do is keep a steady ship. Let everybody know, I'm not the one looked at student loans, saw the Supreme Court rule. I'm not the one that opened up the and then did it anyway. I'm not the one who opened up the border and ignored our sovereignty. I'm not the one who lit the Middle East on fire. I'm not the one who let uh, let Hong Kong go 
during um, uh, Joe Biden's tenure. That happened during his tenure, and so might Taiwan go. When we come back, we'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Or you can write me, briankillme.com, and just click on Contacts. Just a quick note. If you're listening to the show and you've got to leave our family of affiliates, you can grab that app, watch or listen on the Fox News app, see and hear the show live. Just click on Watch. It's right at the bottom. And then you just page through. You want to look at Fox Nation. You want to look at Fox News. You want to listen to Fox Business. What you want is Fox News Talk. That's us. Plus, get the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. That is Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot going on. So glad you're here. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the men in America unless you want to get the benefit. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are sort of finalizing the last pieces of text right now. This bill could be ready to be on the floor of the United States Senate next week, but it won't be if Republicans decide that they want to keep this issue unsettled for political purposes. I am hopeful that we will still have enough Republicans in the Senate who want to fix the problem at the border rather than just do Donald Trump's bidding. But we will see over the next 24 to 48 hours uh, whether that's true. And that is Senator Chris Murphy, along with Senator James Langford, along with Senator Sinema, who feel as though I have a plan to get at least 10 Republicans in the Senate. And right now, the Speaker says, I'm not even bringing it up. It's dead on arrival. I gave you a plan. It's H.R. 2. You guys didn't even vote on that. Why should I vote on your plan? That's essentially what he's saying. And President Trump doesn't want anything to do with it. So it kind of hamstrings a lot of the progress that could be made. My sense is that if the president showed any sincerity on the border, had bad policies instead of no policies, uh, would have been uh, more of a chance of uh, getting some support in the House. But I don't see it right now. But I see everyone affected. Denver's affected. Boston's affected. New York's affected. Chicago's infected. Philadelphia's infected. San Francisco's infected. Do you know those idiots out in California now giving free health care? Of course you're going to leave your country. It make a perfect sense you leave your country. Cut 19. Has anything changed with your thoughts about endorsing Donald Trump for president? No, it it hasn't at all. Obviously, he's been very engaged, as I've mentioned already on it. None of the things that are happening in the last three years on the border would have happened if Donald Trump was actually president. He knows I've been very passionate about the border. This is an issue I've worked on for a very long time. He and I worked together when he was in the White House on some of his border policies. And when he did his big proposal, that was a legislative proposal, because, again, President Trump proposed new laws and new issues on this because we know that we have gaps in the system. So if you want to be able to secure the border, you can have President Trump to be able to come in to actually secure the border because he's going to focus in on that. So Senator Langford was not uh, biting on the fact that they came out against Langford's deal. But you notice that Donald Trump did not go after him specifically over in Oklahoma. And for those people who want to condemn in Oklahoma, we've got two great stations there, including KRMMG. Senator Langford's not a moderate. He's not a liberal. He has not sold his soul. He's working on a compromise bill where he believes he's got enough leverage to get a bill that Republicans could get behind. The lack of faith in Biden should make you feel as though that John uh, James Langford cannot be trusted. Here's what uh, Michael McCall said. Cut 26. He knows better. This is not by accident. It's by design. And he, I call him the architect of destruction. Uh, 8 million encounters, uh, 300 on the terror watch list, 
200 million people dead now thanks to fentanyl poisoning that this one man is responsible for. I think that is a dereliction of duty. And he's talking about Mayorkas, and he's also talking about Trump. And that's a guy that tries to stay out of politics, but clearly is a conservative. When we come back, Elmi Schrader brings us uh, inside the Israeli situation right now. Netanyahu's power. Is it true that a war with Hezbollah is now imminent? Man, Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The center of gravity for the aggression in the Middle East that we're experiencing is Iran. We have said this time and time and time again. And to to deter the proxies themselves by hitting them will not be sufficient. We have got to go after Iran. We've got to reset the strategy in dealing with Iran in the region. And admit the fact that this thing has failed. Yeah, uh, that is General Keene. And that was prior to the Iranian attacks, uh, the sponsored attack through these militias that killed three of our guys and wounded uh, and wounded uh, dozens more. And they've been hitting us 160 times. We've answered about five. The Houthi rebels are now getting some direct attention. Emily Schrader joins us now, an Israeli journalist, uh, in the eye of that tornado, which is a tornado and hurricane of Israeli news. What was your reaction to the hit in Jordan on U.S. forces? Well, thanks so much for having me, first of all. I mean, I think that this is a natural escalation to be expected from the Islamic Republic. They've been doing these small-scale attacks over recent months, weeks and months. Uh, 156, I think it was, have been on American targets. And we've responded, as you mentioned, to hardly any of them. Uh, This is not an effective policy of deterrence. And the way that the Islamic Republic operates, if you are not... Uh, Strong. responding strongly, exactly, then they, they're only going to get worse. You can't deal with a terrorist dictatorship like the Islamic Republic with rational negotiation. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work. And we keep seeing the Biden administration trying to do the same thing over and over and over again, the same failed policy of uh, appeasement, quite frankly, and it's not going to work because what we're talking, what we're dealing with with Iran is the Hitler of our time. So what does Israel, does Israel feel like you're at war every day? Yeah, I mean, I think the Israeli public were still very, very traumatized as a as a collective. Um, you know, in some of the major cities, you you might not notice it. At the same time, we're we're dealing with an immense tragedy. We're used to dealing with immense tragedy, and we're not going to stop it from letting us live mm. our lives. However, Yes, of course. We're at war. It weighs very heavily on everyone's hearts. We have soldiers who are dying every day. And I want to add one more thing about soldiers that I think Americans might not understand, that these are 18-year-olds. These are extreme, fresh out of high school. We, we have a, a required military service. So this isn't people whose careers are uh, defending the country, who decided to join the army. Uh, these are people who were drafted, who are required to be there. And, and so we're losing, frankly, in the eyes of many children. In this war, the, 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 the defense of our country is on the backs of 18, 19-year-olds. And that's a very difficult place to be. How do you uh, characterize the war effort so far by the IDF? They're getting critical for not being targeted enough with their bombings and their attack. What's your, what's your answer to that? I mean, this is, it's absolute nonsense. The, the efforts that the IDF goes to in order to avoid civilian casualties is unprecedented by any Western army. 
We see consistently, even from the IDF releasing footage from uh, some of our pilots and the Air Force releasing footage from body cams, from soldiers calling off strikes, uh, holding their fire. And of course, in any in the fog of war, there are casualties and there are mistakes. But what we're seeing by and large is a policy of doing everything possible to avoid civilian casualties. Right. Um, do you believe the numbers of 22,000 uh, civilian deaths? Absolutely we're going not. by We're going by Hamas numbers. Yeah, and that's precisely the problem. The, the statistics that we get from the Gaza Ministry of Health, which is actually <laughs> the Hamas Ministry of Health, those are numbers that are, that are vetted and approved by Hamas terrorists, so we can't rely on them. Now, I will say that, of course, there are civilian casualties, and that is tragic, but we have no idea if it's anywhere even close to 23,000. And we also know at the same time, according to IDF estimates and, uh, and, and body counts that they have verified in terms of terrorists, that it is thousands of Hamas terrorists who have been killed. So I would be I would greet any of those numbers with with a lot of skepticism. How close. And by the way, we're speaking with Emily Schrader, an Israeli journalist, human rights activist. Emily, how close is the IDF to achieving its objective of eradicating Hamas? Um, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. I think there's a lot of work that still needs to to be done. Um, we said from the beginning that this was going to take time and it is going to continue to take time. And, of course, we're also dealing with public pressure. Uh, Israel is dealing with the ICJ case that just you know took place. A lot of accusations and, and misinformation about what's happening on the ground that does make it more difficult for Israel to achieve its objective, which really is crazy because we're talking about a terrorist organization that not only oppresses innocent Israelis and, you know, has kidnapped and and killed so many of them, but their own people. This is what they do to their own people, too. Everyone, including the Arab world, should be with Israel in taking down Hamas. Right. And they if you asked a Palestinian, do you want a two-state solution? They will say no because they want you guys gone. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's poll after poll that has come out, but there was a, a new one just recently that I saw from a Palestinian source that was, I think, 86 percent said that they want Palestine from the river to the sea, which means the destruction of the state of Israel. They're not interested in some sort of negotiation over, you know, this is our territory, this is your territory. They're not interested in that. And when you have not just a leadership, but an entire population that is against the mere existence of the Jewish state, and don't forget that the Jewish people are the indigenous people right. to this territory, you're going to have a problem. There's not an enforceable uh, peace agreement that can be made with a society like that. They have to go through some sort of de-radicalization before we can ever get to that point. And you talk about that's generations. So what, what, where do you see Gaza long term? Has anyone put together a coherent plan about what happens next? I mean, there have been several proposals for what should happen when it comes to Gaza Strip long term. Uh, some of them, I think, are more viable than others. And there are, are also a lot of unknowns as it stands today. But I think that the best possible option would be for the IDF to work with Arab states, with Arab partners, if they are willing, in order to put together a viable leadership that probably is some combination of uh, Palestinian Authority along with other Arab states, maybe Egypt, maybe even Saudi Arabia, working with the local communities um, inside of Gaza. The way that the society works in Gaza is very um, tribal. Uh, they they operate in very, very large families that have a lot of power over certain neighborhoods, sort of like clans. Uh, and I think it would be advantageous to build partnerships with those clans, have positive relationships with the state of Israel in order to ensure uh, a better and more secure future for the people of Gaza. So I guess we'll see where it goes. We also know there are reports now as many as 10 rockets fired towards central Israel and Tel Aviv, likely from the northern Gaza Strip. 
Uh, shrapnel reported seen in several scenes in central Israel. So Hamas is still capable, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, we have seen a bit of a lull in central Israel in terms of rocket fire. Uh, but yes, even on the way over here to uh, to speak with you, I saw that there were rocket sirens, a massive barrage hitting central Israel. Uh, my friends and, and family are all uh, in shelters uh, so this is a really, it's an ongoing front. Um, there is never a, never a dull moment. And uh, we're doing all we can to continue to push back against, uh, against terrorist forces. Now, that being said, a lot of the abilities of Hamas to carry out these type of attacks have been destroyed. Uh, but, of course, we also have the northern front to be concerned about. So the UNRWA is a U.N. organization tasked with giving humanitarian aid out. Well, it's been reported and confirmed now that about 12 of them took part in the October 7th attacks, one accused of kidnapping, one uh, one woman handed out ammo, another took uh, part actually in the evasion at a kibbutz. Uh, there's some three got text messages telling them to muster up to a certain point. Three, thankfully, are dead. Um, this is at least 12. So what do you say to a U.N. humanitarian organization that fights for Hamas? I mean, this isn't new. This has been how this organization, uh, we, we call it UNRWA for short, um, this is how this organization has, has worked for years. Their entire purpose for existing is contrary to making peace. It's a refugee organization specific to Palestinians and only Palestinians. All other refugees in the world fall under the UNHCR, the High Commission for for um, for Refugees. Palestinians, no. And what's interesting about that is that they have their own definition of refugees. There were an initial 700,000 refugees from the 1948 war in which they tried to wipe out Israel and failed. Since then, the number of refugees has gone from 700,000 to 5.9 million. Now, how do you explain that? How does that make sense? If you're a refugee organization, aren't you trying to make refugees not be refugees? You you want them to be resettled. You want them to have a, a, a happy, safe, prosperous life wherever they may be. Not the case with Palestinians. UNRWA keeps them in perpetual victimhood. Descendants of Palestinians are considered refugees, including people like Bella and Gigi Hadid. These people are would be considered refugees under UNRWA, which is insane, even when they have foreign citizenship. So the entire premise of UNRWA is perpetuating the conflict, not solving it. And that is why you see so many problems and corruption within this organization, because it's not actually helping Palestinians. It's hurting them. It's keeping them from advancing, from moving on with their lives, whether it's in Gaza or right. Lebanon or Syria. So we see right now that Netanyahu and, and Biden are at loggerheads and that he's considering slowing down weapons deliveries in order to get them to start to Israel to start listening more. Have you heard this? Yeah, there has been some ch- some chatter about this. I mean, I think that that's absolutely preposterous, but I can't say I'm surprised given how Biden's foreign policy has been. You you know, he says a lot of things that are good about Israel. He's been very positive when the war first started, but that doesn't really mean anything if you're still negotiating with Iran because the Islamic Republic is concerned with destroying the state of Israel, and they are the body that's behind everything we're seeing. All of these terrorist proxies, Islamic Jihad, Hamas, Hezbollah, all of them, even the Houthis, they are from Iran. And so you can't be pro-Israel. You can't support the state of Israel and also be negotiating with Iran and giving concessions to Iran. It's just not possible. Right. Uh, so I guess it's it's going to be a long month or two while this still goes on. But in the end, you have to reduce the terrorist threat not just kill the people responsible. And so far in Gaza, can you see Gaza existing the way it was? Do you see a big buffer zone? Do you need Egypt and Saudi Arabia and others to step up and just take the Palestinians out of there? 
I mean, I don't know about taking Palestinians out of there. I do think that there's going to have to be some sort of force, maybe even an international force of several different Arab countries that are going to rule very strongly at first Gaza in order to ensure that Hamas doesn't sort of make a resurgence. Any reality in which we see Hamas continue to exist in the Gaza Strip is not one that Israel will accept. Israel will continue to fight until Hamas is decimated and not in control of the Gaza Strip, and that's how it should be. And frankly, everyone should support that because it's in the interest of everyone, including Palestinians. In terms of a a buffer zone, absolutely. I think there will be a a buffer zone when it comes to Israel. I don't know yet what's going to happen in terms of the Palestinians who are there. Ideally, they'll be able to return to their homes and and live in some sort of society that has... Not uh, not not under the control of Hamas or any other terror organization, but it will require some sort of at least temporary uh, involvement from Israel on the ground and then later probably other nations as well, because you're dealing with such a a terror prone society, Mm -hmm. a society that supports the actions uh, by majority, of course, not everyone that supports the actions of October 7th. And it's it's obscene. Right. Um, I guess we'll find out about the hostages. Have you heard what is your take on the two month pause? It's reportedly out there in exchange for 100 hostages out. Yeah, I know that Israel also agreed to some of the proposals that were put forward in uh, in Paris. Uh, I think that Israel is pretty much, as they have been proven in the past, Israel's pretty much willing to do almost anything in order to protect human life, uh, in order to get back our hostages, especially the female hostages. There's a lot of concern about the female hostages that have been there. Um, for, you know, over 100 days now. Uh, so Israel will agree to, you know, whatever they can, whatever they can get away with security wise in order to get our hostages back. That being said, um, I, I don't know that Hamas will. I, I don't know that Hamas will. I don't know that they even have enough control within the Gaza Strip. There have been times when, you know, some of the hostages were transferred to PFLP and other terror organizations. Some of them were under Islamic Jihad. Uh, they don't really know where everyone is. There's some amount of uh, a confusion as to uh, where some of the hostages are and, and, and who's in control of the situation. So I don't think that Hamas will agree to release all the hostages because then what leverage do they have? Uh, and, and frankly, uh, I, although I hope that they do, Israel should not – if we get all our hostages back, Israel should not have a two-month ceasefire. Israel should take out Hamas. It's better for everyone. And I think for the first time you're starting to see this week videos of protests of Palestinians within Gaza condemning Hamas, calling for the release of hostages. And that is unprecedented. This is something we've never seen. So we're starting to see a little bit of a change even within the society. And I'm hopeful that there will be much more. But at this point, not so much. Uh, Emily Schrader, thanks so much. Stay stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When you read an article on social media, like let's say you follow the New York Times on Instagram, and you read one of their articles, and you process it a certain way, the second you start reading the comments, your initial impression of that article is radicalized one way or the other. This thing we take for granted now, that the the journalist who did the work gets to have their uh, uh, piece put on the same shelf as everyone else's spur of the moment bull. You seem to trust journalists more than I do. I trust certain journalists, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, certain ones I do. Yeah. Not a lot. And Not a lot? I, no. 
And I'm, everything I read, whatever source, it's only half the truth. They print, they print the narrative. They don't print truth. That's a they, generalization, though. Well, it, it is, but it's because it's generally true. <laughs> so that's with Seth MacFarlane going back and forth, and, and he had some good examples of that, too. He's like, people tell you what they want to hear. I don't get into the comment section of what people I – I never read the comment section of what people have to say. I read that column, get that point of view, and, and think about it, where that's coming from and what they look to achieve. You're really going to see it on this election cycle. I mean, Donald Trump's the worst. I mean, it's something, people have gotten so crazy with Donald Trump being the worst. You're almost numb to it now. Alex, listening in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. I, I want to comment about the border situation and uh, Republicans not going along with Biden's crazy bill, so-called to secure the border. I don't think Republicans need to believe until they see what's actually in the bill that uh, the Democrats are trying to secure the border because the name is a is, is, has the name of a border bill because – the Democrats have a record of, number one, not looking to secure the border. Biden has the capability. He could put these policies back in place that would actually secure the border. But also they have a they, they did this in the past where they give a name to the bill, but that name doesn't represent the majority of what's in that bill. They did it with the infrastructure bill. Sixty percent of it had nothing to do with infrastructure. So just because it's called a border bill doesn't mean that that's actually what's in it. You know, you, you fundamentally we agree on this. You got to read it. It's amazing to me that you had Ted Cruz call a press conference last Thursday and say we're against this bill and, and Rick Scott the same way. I go, okay, did you read it? No. We have, we have a rough offline. Did you get briefed? No, not not formally. Okay. But the only thing different about what you were just saying about Joe Biden mislabeling what, you know, the the whole Inflation Reduction Act, that was all written by his his side. So – that whole rescue package wasn't rescuing anybody. It was there for his agenda. I, we agree on that. This has been a bipartisan effort. You got a centrist like Sinema left the Democratic Party. You got a Democrat like Chris Murphy. And then you have a Republican like Senator James Langford. And don't tell me that he's a moderate. I want to see what's in it, but I have no faith in Joe Biden to implement it. Why did he break it to begin with? Why did he go for such a political loss? Who has got pictures of him that said, break the border or else? That's a crazy thing. But thanks for the call, Alex. And people have a, a fundamental distrust. I would like to look at it and just say, okay, this can stay, this can. This leads too much of a discretion interpretation. That's why it's got to go. And that's a big thing, as, as Senator Sullivan was telling me. You want to leave nothing for Joe Biden's interpretation because it will always go against the country's best interest, like most of his instincts are. Listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, go to BrianKilmeade.com. Sign up for my Henderson, Nevada show coming up on the 27th of April. Uh, tickets still available, and there's VIP opportunities, too. Uh, don't move. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, it's great to be back in action. It was rainy, but I would take anything but the frigid cold. Uh, that's what everyone was experiencing in Iowa three weeks ago. Last week, New Hampshire was more than tolerable. Big turnout. And now we're back in action and we're dealing with all these overseas challenges. And we're now finally seeing with the Secretary of Defense out of the hospital. Good time because we need you. Uh, and of course, you could always uh, get the get the show if you're on your if you leave the family of affiliates and you're traveling. 
You just get the Fox News app and you look at the bottom and hit watch. You swipe over until you see Fox News Radio. You'll see you'll see the stream too. And catching on Fox Nation, always get the podcast. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Did you see what he recently said about that he wants to see the economy crash this year? Donald Trump knows this economy is good and strong and getting stronger. He knows that while it's good for America, it's bad for him politically. That is uh, Joe Biden doing what he does best, scream on the on the stump. Three battles being waged by Donald Trump. First, you got the one with Nikki Haley for the nomination. Then you got Joe Biden for the White House and nonstop uh, in the courts. If anyone can survive all three, I'd have trouble with just one. It will be the 45th president. We'll see if he ends up the 47th. Number two. A lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully they're blaming it on me. I said, that's OK. Please blame it on me because they were getting ready to pass a very bad bill. And I'll tell you what, a bad bill is I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. Right. But we don't know what's in that bill, Mr. President. Border bill, not quite out. Both Republicans, Democrats are digging through uh, the, their beliefs and responses. We'll tell you what's in it as to the Texas standoff with the Biden continues. And truckers are streaming into the state to show support for Governor Abbott. Number one, I know what the Pentagon is doing is building options for the president that will include increasing the intelligence collection, using cyber to go after both the proxies, probably Iran, CIA stepping up its game inside Iran and the military strike packages speak for themselves. Yeah, there you go, Admiral Stravitz. It's inevitable when you barely respond after 160 attacks, you know one is going to kill Americans and this one did while they slept. Uh, in the Tower 22, right on the Syrian-Jordan border, three Americans died. Nine had to be rushed to the hospital, considering serious condition. Uh, dozens other wounded. Uh, when will Biden realize that only strength will stop the next attack? He says he promises a response. We'll have to see. Joining us now is Tom Caracco, senior fellow of the International Security Program, director of the Missile Defense Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Tom from what you know, what should the response be from this weekend's devastating attack? Yeah, so it's a uh, pretty significant. Uh, three uh, U.S. service members, of course, uh, being killed, which is unfortunate. Uh, but we, the United States has to respond. It has to respond firmly. Uh, we kind of took our time in responding to the quote-unquote Houthi missile attacks uh, that were emanating from Yemen. And what did that do? It kind of emboldened. Uh, Iran and its proxies to do more. Uh, we finally got around to uh, responding to that, uh, uh, hitting the launchers and that sort of thing. And in terms of this attack, you know, uh, attacking this base with lots of uh, UAVs, uh, injuring 30 uh, service members as well, it's going to have to be a strong response. Uh, we, we can continue to respond, you know, with small amounts, but it has to be something substantial enough that no kidding makes it stop and no kidding uh, hits where it hurts or, or the, this will just being a mowing the grass kind of operation. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so it's got to be Iran, not militia. And I guess you don't want to militarize the whole country against us, but at the same time, they have to pay the price. I've had other generals and strategic military experts say we could wipe out their uh, their navy if we wanted. Sure, and, and look, there's a lot of uh, I think uh, options at our, our disposal. At the same time, we don't want uh, to get into a, a big war with Iran, but we do want to uh, do enough to make them uh, wake up tomorrow and say, you know, that wasn't such a good idea. We shouldn't do it again. Yeah, um, what would be response you would you recommend? Uh, do you think we have sites in Iran? 
Well, you know, look, there could be uh, Navy, there could be uh, uh, air defenses, there could be any number of things, but it could also be uh, leadership outside that perhaps might happen to be outside uh, of Iran at the, at the moment. I think it comes down to who uh, who needs to be hurt in order for this to stop. So it necessarily need yeah. to be in Iran, but it could. Uh well, what do you th- do? You think it's indeed possible? I mean, they seem to feel uh, they're they're tr- almost begging for a massive response, you know. So Biden came out and said, you know, there'll be a response, um, and he talked about uh, he'll talked about uh, having to look at now. We saw the Secretary of Defense actually go back to the Pentagon today. Do you sense that he's been clued into how things have been going with his physical challenges? Uh, yeah, look, we, we have to assume. Uh, that uh, his team, his staff, is very well informed on this, uh, and I and they're going to present some options. Uh, ultimately, you know, it's the president's job to pick the options. Uh, for instance, it's the president's job to decide whether or not to respond to the global hawk shootdown, whether or not to respond to the Al-Abbas missile attack, uh, and and how so. So it, it, there's not going to be any question that you know, have the information. Uh, the question is who's advising them uh, and how firm they want to come down. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Tom Cotton says Joe Biden's emboldened Iran for years by tolerating these attacks. Mike McCall says the Biden administration failed Middle East policy has destroyed our deterrence against them. Mike Rogers came out as chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, said President um, Biden has let our guard down. Dan Sullivan was just on the show, said the president needs to order a clear, lethal and overwhelming response that demonstrates to Iran and the world that whoever targets our men and women in uniform or supports these attacks will face the full strength of the military. Where do you stand with all those statements? Look, I I think, like I said before, uh, it does need to be strong. Uh, Weakness is provocative. And uh, like I said, we've got to hit hit Iran where it hurts. We've got to make sure that they are the ones putting the pressure on the Houthis, on these other uh, militias, uh, as opposed to, you know, standing back and and goading them on. So I I think in general, yes, uh, those statements are right. Uh, They align with the need to to act sufficiently. Do you think Iran wants a wider war? Well, you know, I think as we talked the last time I was on, uh, I think that Russia and China would benefit uh, from a wider war. Uh, Russia and China would benefit but with distractions on the Korean Peninsula. And so we do have to uh, be cognizant of that. Uh, I don't think they want a wider war in which they uh, lose and suffer, uh, but people do miscalculate. Uh, uh, the Iranians have miscalculated in attacking uh, the U.S. directly and indirectly many, many times. And for some reason, we you know, they mostly get away with it. Uh, but I don't think they want a big war. I think we need to do something substantial enough uh, to kind of gra- grab them by the lapels and shake them. Oh, all right. We'll see what happens. Here's what General Jack Keane told me on the 12th. Cut five. The center of gravity for the aggression in the Middle East that we're experiencing is Iran. We have said this time and time and time again. And to be, to deter the proxies themselves by hitting them will not be sufficient. We have got to go after Iran. We've got to reset the strategy in dealing with Iran in the region and admit the fact that this thing has failed. So that's how he felt on the 12th. Yeah, look, I think that's compelling. We've seen this coming. Uh, you saw this this train coming with the ramping up of the of the Houthis. You saw this two weeks ago. I think he was probably responding or perhaps anticipating to that missile attack by other Iranian proxies on the U.S. airbase Al-Abbas. 
a couple weeks ago. And so we, we've seen this coming. Uh, they keep doing this, and uh, <laughs> it's a, in some ways it's the most pr- uh, pr- uh, predictable thing in the world. So right now we understand that the administration is considering slowing down weapons delivery to Israel until they start listening better to the urgencies from the administration to be more precise or scale back on the war in Hamas. Where do you stand? Look, I think the the administration is trying to do uh, to walk a to kind of have it both ways and walk a fine line. Uh, there's some, as everyone knows, some uh, competing uh, domestic political considerations there, and uh, Netanyahu knows that, and he knows uh, U.S. Uh, domestic politics as well as anybody. Uh, and so, look, uh, our friends, the Israelis, need to, uh, and they will, uh, they will uh, continue with this and continue to plow ahead. Uh, and, I, and I do believe the United States will. Uh, we'll continue to support them uh, because at the end of the day, we, we have to, and it's the right thing. But uh, they are the administration is uh, clearly toying with some competing diplomatic messages. Yeah, I guess we'll see, we'll see what happens. We're meeting with China about some getting control of the Houthi rebels. Why would we meet with China? What do they know about the Houthi rebels? <laughs> well, again, I, it is a little bit remarkable. Uh, look, the Chinese have been uh, you know, buying up uh, real estate uh, throughout the Middle East and Africa, lots of other places. So they do have interest and presence and all this sort of thing. And look, China is clearly becoming a global power. Uh, but it, uh, you're right. It's not necessarily the best look uh, to be kind of uh, uh, going to the Chinese for help uh, half a world away. They must chuckle uh, about that a little bit. Uh, so, again, my hypothesis stated earlier is that it's, it's really in China's interest. Uh, for these things to to uh, to distract us militarily, even if China, as an economic power, uh, is going to be uh, uh, feeling some pain uh, from the uh, disruptions in shipping, as everybody else does. Wow! Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Tom Caraco. Thanks so much, senior fellow uh, with the International Security Program. Thank you, Tom. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Bottom of the hour, we're going to be. Speak with Senator Tom Cotton. He wants to see immediate action. I do want to touch a little bit about what's going on with the election in the in the primaries. And for one thing, with the president of the United States, I think he pulled back a little on the Nikki Haley attacks, focused more on Joe Biden. Uh, you know, for one thing, I think that I, he's getting some blowback from the way he acted after winning New Hampshire convincingly in double figures. Uh, he was upset that Nikki Haley was out there misconstruing the uh, what that win actually meant, and he thought I could maybe turn the page. He's kind of let down by that. Plus, he was probably anticipating some of the stress of seeing through that civil trial that cost him tens of millions of dollars. And now another one could be coming down the pike today worth $345 million. But when you look at what's happening with Nikki Haley, he thought that was just a big distraction, and it's going to delay what he wants, and that is targeting Joe Biden. And I get that to a degree. But keep in mind, the longer he fights Nikki Haley— the more wins he racks up, the more positive the general press will have to report on him. Sooner or later, they're going to be solid court cases. Sooner or later, it's going to be how great Joe Biden is, defying our odds, and uh, and how, how diminished President Trump is. So the more they can go back and forth with Nikki Haley, I think that's a little bit better for the president. Nine months is still nine months away. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show back in a moment. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. That bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. 
bipartisan bill would be good for America and help fix our broken immigration system and allow speedy access for those who deserve to be here. And Congress needs to get it done. Yeah, right. Just yell and be mad. Joe Biden does that great. And when he talks to union workers, he thinks everybody talks like that, where they were mad at each other. So he just say, we go do it now. The problem, the, the turning James Langford and everybody else, is the president's lack of credibility on the border. The fact that he only went there once and they had stayed some phony drug raid in a cop car with a German shepherd and there was nobody coming through. So he thought the border was fixed. I don't know if he bought that or not, but no one else was. Today they're going to try to impeach Mayorkas. I'm not sure if they have the votes or not. It will get stopped in the Senate, but they want to just point out and rake him over the coals how bad he has been. They have not impeached a cabinet secretary since 1877, and that was the secretary of war at the time, coming right off the Civil War, less than 10 years. And now, uh, by the way, he was stopped in the Senate, too. Just crazy. Uh, by the way, someone just emailed. They didn't want to come on the air, but here's a question. Uh, Walter wanted to know, where is the money when we are spending on these illegals coming from? It's coming from Homeland Security, and there's a special uh, border money, too. So it just comes right out of that. Just like to actually secure the border, we did not have enough money for the president, the 45th president. So we had to go into the defense budget and said it was national security. Ryan, you're on the you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hey, brother. Uh, glad you're doing well, man. I love listening to you. Thank you. Uh, as, uh, as the email said, we got this money that's being taken from the other places. Well, now we know we have money for the vets and the homeless, right? Yeah, we they should, right? They complained about all the money, right? So yeah. why aren't they implementing something to take care of our own? And that's the biggest problem for everybody, right? They're repurposing a lot of that money. Now, the cities are told you're on your own. There, they're just taken from their general fund for the most part. And a lot of times, or they just decide maybe Boston, Denver, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago have different decisions. But there is no illegal immigrant budget, really, at all. Now, right. all of a sudden, yeah. they need it. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing, right? We've had this money, and you're willing to go get it for uh, illegal immigrants, but you haven't been willing to take it for from wherever to provide for our own. Yeah, and that's that's what people should point to, and that's what these mayors are saying. Federal government, you let the border get open, now you pay, and Joe Biden will not even help Democratic mayors. Democratic mayors, and he will spend money to make sure that Texas doesn't secure their own border. Catherine, listening in the Washington State, it's crazy. Washington State, hey, Catherine. Hi, uh, Brian. Um, hey, listen, wh- why haven't the Republicans impeached Biden over the fact that he swore on January 20th, 2021, to uphold our nation's laws, which include immigration laws, and to prevent foreign invaders? It drives me crazy. They impeached uh, Donald Trump lickety-split, the Democrats did, over Ukraine. Uh, twice. Yeah. Yep. And it, exactly, over stupid things. And this is a blatant uh, violation of your oath of office. It drives me nuts. He is supposed to prevent born invaders, and, and he's supposed to uphold Yeah, see, Catherine, I don't, I don't know. Laws. He's got nine months left, let's hope. Uh, and they have to work yeah. on keeping the house. By the time they get that done, they'll really get nothing done. I want to see them get something done. So they're handling Mayorkas now. I actually think in a way they they want to just let everybody know how bad he is. But you know he's just implementing Biden's policies. So And he's bad at it. Doesn't meet with the Border Patrol. But we'll see. Thanks so much. Daniel, listening in Georgia. Hey, Daniel. 
Hey, good morning, Brian. Just wanted to let you know I'm going to get your book uh, for my birthday and try to start reading it soon. Nice. Teddy uh, and Booker T., thanks so much. Yeah, uh, my quick question is, hey, you know, uh, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, you have to have a membership card to get in to either Sam's Club or Costco uh, in order to get in there and do your shopping and all those things. Well, you know what? Uh, they wouldn't let me in because I didn't have it. So I thought to myself, hey, we need to send all those 10,000 or so Costco and Sam's Club uh, door greeters and workers down to the border to help control people from getting in, which is kind of a funny pundit to it. And uh, my thing is, I think last week on Tuesday when it was uh, um, the the primary in New Hampshire and nobody could decipher what Joe Biden was uh, saying. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, and they jump all over Trump because he did make a mistake, no doubt about it. But it was an hour and 15 minutes into his speech. Joe Biden can't get 10 minutes into his speech. He has trouble with the prompter. He just eats all the words. And don't tell me because he's a stutterer. I mean, there's something malfunctioning. He doesn't work hard. He doesn't give interviews. His speeches are halted. They have no message. His missions are never talked about because he can't speak about it. He's got no one to speak about it. Kamala Harris has nobody's respect, nor is she clear either. So you have Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, who just emanate weakness. It's crazy. Trump's got to win this. Or or if Nikki Haley finds a way. But right now, it's just Trump's got to find a way. Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I would go after the uh, ship at sea scenario. We've done that before. It's a very effective way and a very direct demonstration of American power. That is a little of uh, Admiral Stravitas uh, trying to understand what exactly the administration should be doing as opposed to what they will do. Uh, He was trying to be diplomatic and doing it and stay apolitical. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton joins us now. His comments were uh, were out front and uh, personal as soon as this tax came clear and we lost three of our guys and eight more seriously wounded. Dozens got hurt after an attack over the weekend and uh, on our uh, on our forces that I didn't even know we had a base right in right over the border in Syria uh, in Jordan. And worst of all, I didn't know how exposed they were. Joining us now is Senator Tom Cotton. Senator Cotton wrote uh, Senator Cotton. Great to hear from you. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. Um, first off, let me please express my condolences to the families and the battle buddies of all three of those soldiers who were killed yesterday and uh, now several dozen who were wounded. Um, we all are praying for them, uh, praying for the families of the three soldiers who were killed in action and praying for the speedy recovery and return to duty of all the soldiers who were wounded. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you wrote uh, Joe Biden emboldened Iran for years by tolerating attacks on our troops, bringing the Ayatollahs with billions of dollars and appeasing them to no end. He left our troops as sitting ducks and now they are dead and dozens wounded. Sadly, as I have predicted, would happen for months. So you have been saying that you said that here. So now what should happen? Well, Brian, unfortunately, the president has left us with very few good options if he had firmly responded to these attacks by Iran through its proxies on America, not just over the last three months, but over the last three years, they would have stopped long ago. Um, But now Iran has crossed essentially every red line you can imagine. They've killed American soldiers. They've done it on a friendly nation's soil. This is not Iraq or Syria. 
This is in Jordan. Um, and the attacks continue elsewhere, too, you know, from uh, the Houthis, for instance, in Yemen against the Red Sea. So, as I said yesterday, it has to be a devastating military response. This is almost certainly the work of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, the shock troops of the Ayatollahs. They have bases and locations throughout the Middle East, in Yemen, in Syria, in Iraq, and of course in Iran itself. And those should be utterly decimated. Uh, and it should be made clear to the Ayatollahs that we will no longer tolerate these kinds of attacks. That doesn't mean that we're gonna invade Iran or there's gonna be an all out war that lasts for years. I would remind all your listeners that we've had a moments like this in the past. Iran in 1987 and 1988 was mining the Persian Gulf. One of those mines ultimately hit a US naval ship. It didn't kill sailors, it wounded several sailors though. What was Ronald Reagan's response? It was to sink half of Iran's Navy. He was asked uh, shortly thereafter, if we were at war with Iran, and, and he, in his kind of avuncular way, chuckled and said, no, Iran would not be so stupid. Of course, Iran would not be so stupid as to go to war with the United States. But if they think they can get away with targeting our soldiers and ultimately killing our soldiers, and that's exactly what they will continue to do. So here's what Joe Biden said January 15th. Cut four. I've already delivered the message to Iran. They know not to do anything. Well, that's wrong. And here's what he said. They did anything anyway. He delivered a message to Iran. Here's the president yesterday. Cut three. Last night, in the Middle East, we lost three brave soldiers in an attack on our base. And we shall respond. We shall respond. Have you heard anything about what can be doing? After all, uh, Senator, aren't you on Armed Services Committee? Uh, no, I haven't heard anything. Brian, and I suspect that the response will be weak and feckless, as it always is with Joe Biden. Uh, this is a man, remember, who Bob Gates 10 years ago said has been wrong on nearly every major national security and foreign policy question of 40 years. The only change I would make to Secretary Gates' statement is that we now have to update it to 50 years. It's Joe Biden's weakness, again, not just over the last three months, not even over the last three years with Iran, but with Russia and the lead up to the war in Ukraine and over the last two years of that war with the collapse in Afghanistan that has caused the Ayatollahs and their terror proxies to think they can get away with targeting Americans hundreds of times or even killing Americans. And until Joe Biden takes decisive action to show that he now understands the grave errors of his weak leadership, then these attacks are going to continue. And there's a simple way, Brian, to, to know if he's been successful in whatever action he takes, which I suspect won't be enough. But whatever action that is, is do these attacks stop? Or do they continue? If the attacks continue, then by definition, the Ayatollahs and their terrorist forces throughout the region are not scared of Joe Biden. And right now, nobody's scared of Joe Biden. Do you think he needs authorization to hit Iran right now? No, I don't, Brian. He has the same authority that any president does, which is to launch military strikes to defend America and defend American troops and interests around the world. Uh, Congress does our job of providing a military to the commander in chief that is available for that kind of use. If Congress disapproves of the specific military action, we can always defund that action as happened numerous times down our history. But this is why our founding fathers created a single executive, not a council of executives that would be racked by dissension, but a single executive to take actions in a crisis and in an emergency to defend our interests and certainly to defend our troops. 
Yet again, I think Joe Biden will fail that. You read the newspapers this morning and the entire everything you hear in those newspapers or when you see John Kirby, the White House spokesman, go on morning talk shows, it's all about restraint and proportional response and not seeking a wider war. Of course, we don't seek a wider war with Iran, Brian. But if that's the emphasis at all times and that's the fear, then Iran is going to widen the war as they have been doing for the last three months, really the last three years. Proportionate responses will not stop these attacks. Only a massively disproportionate response will stop these attacks. Well, it's going to be really interesting because we're also dealing with the Houthi rebels who just blew up a a British tanker over the weekend. We're still using uh, multi-million dollar defense rockets to knock down thousand dollar drones. I don't know how long that's going to happen. Yeah, um, we can't continue to use multi-million dollar missiles uh, against basically makeshift homemade weaponry that so many of these proxies use. We should be going directly to the source, taking out all their radar systems, their ammunition sites, their launch pads. We shouldn't just be playing whack-a-mole, letting our troops be sitting ducks, hoping that our air defenses will succeed on every single time. We've got some of the world's best air defenses, Brian, but as we saw at Tower 22 in northeastern Jordan yesterday, it only takes one miss for catastrophic consequences. What the president has to do is to restore a sense of fear that the Ayatollahs have for America. This has happened before. Again, I cited Ronald Reagan in 1988 as one example. It didn't just stop the mine in the Persian Gulf, Brian. It ended the eight-year Iran-Iraq war six months later because the Ayatollahs were so scared that America would intervene in that war. Think about Donald Trump in 2020. We started the year by killing killing Qasem Soleimani, Iran's terrorist mastermind. And then at the end of the year, right before Christmas, Donald Trump put on social media that if a single American was killed, he would uh, hold the Ayatollahs responsible. He called it some friendly health advice. And guess what happened for the rest of that year, Brian? There were no more attacks. The attacks that were threatened did not happen because the Ayatollahs feared Donald Trump, just like they feared Ronald Reagan. Right now, no one is afraid of Joe Biden. He has slapped a kick-me sticker on Uncle Sam's back. You know, the same thing is I was researching Thomas Jefferson and Tripoli Pirates. That no one, everyone just paid off these uh, these radical Islamic nations using the using the Quran as their weapon to kidnap people, enslave them, plunder their cargo, take their ships, and everyone was terrorized. They were scared to death until it was the U.S. a couple of decades old. We just started to, you know, let's put together a navy and let's just start blockading them and let's start escorting our ships, and that still didn't work. And then we had to get a ground war together, and then they got the message, and we wouldn't be bombarded again until the 1980s. We have to go back to it because it's the same mindset we're dealing with. As President Trump said over the weekend, borrowing from Ronald Reagan, peace through strength. And without strength, which is not just having a strong military, but a strong president who is willing to use the military when compelled to defend our interests, is the way we ensure peace. Again, we've heard now for three months about the Middle East. Well, we don't want escalation. All that does is signal in flashing neon lights to Iran and all of its terrorist proxies that you can punch America right in the mouth and nothing will happen. It's the same thing you've seen in Ukraine for two years when President Biden has pussyfooted around time and time again, refusing to give Ukraine a specific kind of weapon system they need because he's afraid of escalation. Again, to, to use the military jargon, the way to avoid escalation, Brian, is to establish escalation dominance. So I want you to just talk a little bit about the border bill, what you know of it. First off, what have you been briefed on it? 
Not, not its most recent iteration, Brian. I was a little closer to this when we started in November and December. Uh, I'll tell you my position on, on the bill that's finally released, and I think it's still in, in draft form, is that we need a bill that will solve the problem at the border. It's not about having a political issue for the campaign, as the Democrats are accusing us, or, or not giving Joe Biden tools that he can use, because we know he won't use those tools. He hasn't used the tools he already has in place. A good bill will solve the crisis at the border. It will compel Joe Biden to take action that stops the flow of hundreds and even thousands of migrants across our border every single day. That's what needs to happen. That's not again, it's not about empowering a president who wants to protect our border right. like Donald Trump did and will again next year. It's about compelling a stubborn, reluctant president whose party doesn't even believe in borders to mm-hmm. actually secure the border. I just want you to hear a little bit from Langford describing what he worked out with Cinema and Murphy. Cut 14. Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to let a bunch of people in. It's focused on actually turning people around on it. It is interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. We all have an oath to the Constitution, and we have a commitment to say we're going to do whatever we can to be able to secure the border. But people say if you have two-thirds, it's like having nothing. You need everything, including the wall being built. So the question is, do you want to give if Donald Trump's going to get elected, he would probably he'd know how to he'd have additional tools from what I could see. Uh, And he was something to build off of. If you have to start from zero, the argument is they'll never have the leverage you guys have right now because of the need for foreign aid and for how bad everything is down there. Yeah, so that that point is critical to these negotiations going back to October, Brian, typically. Chuck Schumer, uh, who's not good at his job as the majority leader of the Senate, has only one move. He uses a legal deadline to put a bad bill on the floor and thinks he can compel the votes of 60 U.S. senators. He does that, for instance, on government shutdowns to fund the government or on the debt ceiling to avoid a debt default. Uh, There is no deadline for this. There's no legal deadline. That's why we have said from the beginning we want to promote and protect Ukraine security, but we also have to protect our own security. And right now, the border is a grave threat to our national security. And as you say, you can't dam one half of a river. It's nice to get things like a reform to the asylum process, which has been badly abused by foreign migrants and left-wing nonprofits in the Democratic Party for decades. But if you also don't, for instance, reform the parole system, it won't stop the crisis at the border. To give you a sense of the scale of abuse of Joe Biden, Barack Obama, who, who was no border hawk by any means, was only paroling about five or 6,000 people a year into the United States. Last year, Joe Biden paroled 1.2 million people. So he, he, passed, he passed Barack Obama's record in a day oh, and a half. So unless, unless you actually uh, address all the sources of abuse that Joe Biden uh, has used over the last three years to get us to the point where we're seeing more than 300,000 illegals cross into our country every month, which on an annual basis would be well over the population of the state of Arkansas, then it's not going to solve the problem. And that's the bill I'm focused on is the bill that solves the problem now, not one that empowers the president to use new tools, who wants to secure the borders, Donald Trump will next year when he's elected again, but rather forces this president to take actions 
that he could have already taken, but he simply refuses to. Do you think Nikki Haley should drop out? I've endorsed Donald Trump. I don't see how Nikki Haley is going to win in South Carolina beyond. It's early in the primary process to be sure, but if you look at the votes that Nikki Haley has won and the votes that Donald Trump has won, there are many, many more of the Donald Trump voters in places like South Carolina and Arkansas and on Super Tuesday than there are the Nikki Haley voters, who frankly are not, in many cases, even Republicans or someone who will support the Republican in the fall. So I, I would rather, given the writing on the wall, get on to the general election so Republicans can unify behind the president and focus on turning Joe Biden out of office mm-hmm. while also winning back the Senate and holding on to the House. Senator Tom Cotton, uh, thanks so much. We appreciate it. I look forward to seeing what the president's response is, and I would love for him to call you guys to get a suggestion. Because you know. Uh, thanks so much, Senator. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 866 We'll end up some calls. Uh, also give you some special thoughts when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Spirit Airlines shares have fallen 58% after a federal judge blocked a merger with JetBlue. So now the only way Spirit and JetBlue will merge is midair. It's kind of funny. Uh, but it was just I just thought it was just a huge opportunity lost on Saturday Night Live because there's been so much going on. I mean, funny things. You can make fun of Trump and just make fun of the other side and you'll all be set. I, I thought that cold open was kind of interesting. Did you see the cold open? Just a bunch of guys complaining that football's over. Now they, they have nothing of substance to talk about. And the sadness making fun of CBS sportscasters. I did. I heard That's it. Okay. I didn't see it. But yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was fine. Right. I didn't yeah. think it was that revolutionary. It happens every single year after this weekend. Right. Uh, you know, if they want to do something unique to this year, that would be. Uh, but one thing, but I'm like, isn't it interesting they choose CBS to mock and not NBC? Well, CBS is hosting it this year, right? I mean, they're trying to be current with it. Oh, I guess. But they, <laughs> yeah, they talked about how it doesn't matter. It's not a real game. Uh, kind of interesting. I just thought the other thing was debank to say this word. Let's play that other clip of Josh, of, of what's his name? Who's the, who's the other anchor? I like to refer him as Scarlett Johansson's husband. Right. Him. <laughs> so here he is, Colin Jost, making fun of Trump. Cut 37. Trump did have a slight stumble this week while talking about banks, and he introduced an interesting new term called debank. I don't know what the hell debank means, but he might have to take deambulance to see the doctor. So here you go. Uh, turns out it was a real word. And if you, as you mentioned earlier, if you're going to base the whole joke over a word, shouldn't somebody, a staffer, look it up and just say, let's just make sure it's not a word. It's just not a gap in my knowledge. What Exactly. Like you would think if that's the core of it, let's just triple check. At the same time, given all of those Ivy League educations over at SNL, you would think they would know the definition of a simple word like debate. Right. Plus, Donald Trump is with the nicknames and everything going on and that dress isn't that nice. Not that, not that fancy of a dress. There was so much to make fun of. If that would have been gold. Right. That was great. Instead, it's like, oh, that debank word that he used. I think they just want to like the de-ambulance. And like they, they liked that part of the joke more right. before they needed the bank. It's a, it's a real word. Hey, um, just, a, just a quick note. 
Just go to BrianKilme.com if you're in anywhere near Henderson, Nevada, April 27th. We're going to be doing a live show there, talk about winning the war on history, uh, how to do it in a fun, entertaining way, and we bring it to life. Uh, Carly Shimkus called it immersive, and I think that's good. Keep it here, Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.